Brother Mitchell Butler preach and how God has been using him. I've been able to sit in Sunday school now. I'm not teaching. And uh, it's a blessing watching Mitchell, Brother Butler, grow up, grow and mature in God. And that God is using them. Um, so I'd ask you to prepare, push everything out of the way, and get ready to hear uh, Brother Butler share God's word with us. All right, we'll be in the book of John this evening, John chapter 21. Pastor had asked me to fill in, I think it was last week during VBS, he had told me he was going to be gone and, and asked me to fill in here and I've got different messages already prepared, but none of them was really sticking out at me as the one God wanted, and that continued up through Tuesday morning, and I was starting to get a little nervous. I wasn't getting any direction from God about what to preach, and uh, those preachers who have been in those spots, you know know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm sure Brother Harrison has never been in a spot like that where he doesn't know what to preach. But uh, it was was getting a little nervous, and then God directed me here uh, yesterday afternoon. And so this is where we'll we'll, uh, we'll be tonight. John chapter 21. We'll start reading verse number 1, read through verse 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but it was, as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the the church that you have given here in Anchorage. Lord, opportunity for us to come and and to be encouraged, uh, to sing these songs that, uh, that speak so so well of you, Lord, and uh, Lord, just and hear the, the truth found in your word. And I pray, Lord, that I communicate the truth clearly. Um, 
that you remove any distractions that would hinder your word from having the full effect that it needs to on our lives. And Lord, again, if there's any in here who has never accepted you as their Savior, I pray that today be the day of salvation for them. And Lord, I pray that you bless in a great and mighty way, and we'll give you all the honor and glory for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The time of our text is really a time of uncertainty for the disciples, for the apostles. It is, of course, after the resurrection. Um, Jesus has appeared to the disciples two times before, both of them on a Sunday. Of course, the first one being resurrection, uh, the resurrection Sunday. He appears with them uh, there that Sunday evening when they were gathered together. And then the following Sunday, he appeared to them again and taught them there. So as our text says there at the end, that this is the third time Jesus appears to his disciples. But again, it was a time of uncertainty. Before, they, they, just think about the, where the disciples were uh, prior to the crucifixion and where they are now. Prior to the crucifixion, the last three years of their life, they have devoted to this man, this Jesus. They believe he was the Messiah. Of course, he, was, he is the Messiah. But they've given up their homes. They've given up their jobs. They've been following him around for three years. Crucifixion happens. Their life seems now pointless. What they've been doing the last three years seems like they've been living foolishly. Then, of course, Christ comes in and, and encourages their faith. Of course, we know Thomas was missing the first, uh, first time Christ appeared. And then he was there that second Sunday when Christ appeared. So now they have their faith restored, but it's, they are still unsure of how to proceed, of how, how they're supposed to proceed. The instructions they have been giving, given from Christ were to go to Galilee. You see that in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. He tells them to go to Galilee. Um, they waited until after the second Sunday, uh, or the second Sunday uh, that he appeared, because they were still in the feast of, I believe it was unleavened bread, um, so they weren't supposed to be traveling too much at that point. So that second Sunday was still, uh, it was just, the feast of unleavened bread had just finished up, and so they were going to be traveling to Galilee after then. And then he had also told them that they were supposed to wait at Jerusalem until they received power from on high. Of course, uh, that would occur at the day of Pentecost, and they would be at Jerusalem most likely for the Feast of Pentecost as well. Uh, it was something where they would gather, to, uh, go to Jerusalem for. So it made sense that, God, that Christ would tell them to go to Galilee and then wait at Jerusalem. It's not a contradiction. He knew what would, what would be taking place over the next few weeks. But that's the, ba- that's the basic instructions they've been given. They haven't really given too, been given too much, too many more instructions, any clearer instructions. Um, obviously, we know at this point Christ is expounding the Scripture to them. He is opening up their understanding uh, of the Old Testament, showing Himself in the Old Testament. You see that mentioned several times after His crucifixion, that He is doing that for the disciples. And you'll see the effect of that in the book of Acts, when they are able to use the Old Testament so effectively, as Pastor has been uh, touching on as, as he goes through the book of Acts there on, uh, well, now Wednesday night. But again, they were now almost in a holding pattern. The last three years of their life, they've been in ministry. They've been serving Christ, they've been living with Christ. They've been, he's been going out, he's been preaching, he's been healing the sick. They've been doing that as well. They've been sent out by Christ, preaching, healing the sick. And now, now what do they do? Christ is no longer there. I'm sure they have many questions. And before, when they had those questions, they could just ask him. How many times throughout 
Christ's ministry, the disciples ask him a question. Something comes into their brain and they just ask him. He's no longer there. They no longer have that physical presence. And so I'm sure numerous questions were coming to their mind. And Christ now is no longer there to answer them immediately. Again, they were, it was going to be a very uncertain time for them. Um, not only the time until they were empowered by the Holy Ghost, where they could actually, where they were now um, sent by Christ. Of course, he said, wait till the Holy Ghost, and then you're supposed to go into all the world. So that, they're waiting for that mission to start. But it's also going to be uncertain times in the transition from Judaism to Christianity. You see many problems popping up in the book of Acts. Paul has to address different problems that the transition from Judaism to Christianity was causing in the first century, in this local, in the church, the first century church. So it's going to be very uncertain times for them. And what we find in our text is a great blueprint, a blueprint of how to act when there is no clear direction in our life. When we are faced with some uncertainty, we don't know what to do. We don't know what we're supposed to do in these situations. And how we behave in uncertain times will have great consequences, good or bad. We can think of Abraham, when he has been promised a son. And he's getting up in age. Sarah's getting up in age. Uncertainty. How, how is this going to happen? And so Sarah, of course, gets the, the brilliant idea that they're going to help God out. And, of course, Hagar comes into the picture and Ishmael now is born from Hagar. That, that was not acting in the right way there in that time of uncertainty. But it just shows the danger of that time of uncertainty. Of what, when we don't know what to do, when we're waiting for God to reveal to us His will or reveal what we are supposed to be doing, it is a time of great danger. And I think the imp important principle we see in our text is to stay, to remain. And we'll see that as we get in. Uncertainty is not the time to try something new. It is the time to do what you know is right to do. Don't try something new. Don't say, well, we're going to change things up. The old ways of going out and door knocking is not working. It's uncertain times in our culture right now. God is, is uh, derided. Any Christian is, is seen as in the contempt, uh, is held in contempt. So maybe we don't need to have that public witness so much. It's not the time to try something new. It's the time to keep doing what we know is right. The disciples, as we're going to see here in our text, we're going to see four things that they stayed in, something that they remained in. The first thing we're going to see is that they stayed engaged. They stayed engaged. Second thing is they stayed teachable. They stayed humble. Thirdly, they stayed reverent. They had kept the fear of God in place. And then fourth, they stayed Hungry. They stayed hungry. So first of all, and again, this is, this is a great example to us of how we should act in those uncertain times. We'll all face them. Some of us are facing them right now. And if we aren't, then we soon will be facing some uncertain times in our life. But the first thing we need to do is to stay engaged. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 there in John chapter 21. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, 
And that night they caught nothing. Stay engaged. Uncertainty often causes a, a, a natural reaction, a default reaction to withdraw. Oftentimes when we are faced with uncertainty, the natural thing to do is withdraw. We can think of a singer. When somebody is singing and they are unsure of the notes, they're not really confident in their part, they don't sing as loudly as they normally do. Uncertainty causes withdrawal. And you can think of those on the instruments as well. When we are unsure of how we are supposed to act, we often will start withdrawing, withdrawing from our normal manner of life. Again, focusing more on our uncertainty than on doing what we know we should be doing. The uncertainty looms large in our, in our life, and so we devote most of our attention to that. That is not the right thing to do. We need to make sure we are staying engaged. Peter and the six disciples that were with him stayed engaged, we see, in two areas. The first thing they stayed engaged in is fellowship with believers. You see, of course, the seven disciples here. When you have no clear direction in your life, when you are faced with uncertainty, you don't know what's going to happen. You can be assured that God wants you to be around fellow believers. He wants you to be encouraged by those around you, those in, in your church. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 133. Psalm 133. We see the, how, how David, how God through David describes the blessing of Christian fellowship. Psalm 133, just the, the three verses there, the entire psalm. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. The psalm here extolling the blessing of, of fellowship with fellow believers. And of course dwelling together in unity. And how good and how pleasant that is. It is a great encouragement to be around fellow Christians. I remember when I was working out in the, in the secular world. And how Wednesday was such, a, was such an encouraging time for me to get out of the world. Get out of, uh, of the, the culture there. And to get in and to, to spend time with fellow believers. And to spend time listening to the word of God being preached. Of course, along with this point of staying engaged in Christian fellowship is staying in church. Uh, of course, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 famously tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It is extremely important for us, especially in times of uncertainty, that we stay engaged in Christian fellowship. Don't withdraw. Don't think, well, I've got this big problem in my life, so I'm just going to withdraw. I'm going to get in my own little shell I can't tell anybody about it. I, I can't socialize like I normally do. I've got I've to withdraw into this little shell because I'm faced with this huge problem. That's not the right response. We need to stay engaged in Christian fellowship as the disciples did here. We have a beautiful example of this in Thomas. 
I love the fact that Thomas is present here with the other disciples. Think of what was his initial reaction to uncertainty when Christ was crucified. He withdrew from fellowship. The one, the, out of the 11 apostles that were there, he was not there. Ten other apostles were there that Sunday evening when Christ first showed himself to them as a group. Thomas was missing. He had, he had withdrawn. That was his initial, initial reaction, the natural reaction to this uncertain time. He withdrew himself. And then, of course, when he heard that Christ had risen again, he was there that next Sunday, saw Christ, and now he's not missing out on spending time with the fellow believers. Um, he is here on this boat when Christ decides to show himself to them. But think of what state he would have been in when he missed seeing Christ the first time. The other disciples had the uncertainty for the, that short time. It was three days. And then they saw him Sunday evening. Their uncertainty was now over in that regard. They knew Christ had risen. But he would stay in that uncertainty for another week. Staying in a state of doubt. A state of disbelief. Unbelief. Saying, I'm not going to believe it until I can reach my finger in it, into the holes in his hands. His uncertainty stretched longer than the other ones because he had withdrawn himself from Christian fellowship. We cannot overemphasize the importance of fellowship. Stay engaged in Christian fellowship. You never know what you might miss when you withdraw yourself from the church. They also stayed engaged in work. Now, obviously, we know they were not working in ministry here when they got on the boat to go fish. Most likely, I believe, Peter's like, well, we're going to need some money. Christ isn't here. He can't feed, can't feed us, uh, create bread out of, out of thin air. So we're going to have to find some means of supporting ourselves. So either to get food or maybe to, to get some fish to sell, Peter makes the decision here, we're going we're gonna to go out and work. And again, obviously it's not, not ministry, but that is, again, another reaction oftentimes when we are faced with uncertainty is we start to withdraw from the work of the ministry. We don't, we don't push ourselves as much as we normally do. We say, well, it's, it's not that important. I've got other things to worry about in my life. I've got to withdraw from this ministry. Becoming idle is one of the worst things a person can do when faced in chaotic time and when faced with uncertainty. That idle time just provides the devil with a huge target. So, okay, I've got a lot of time here. I've got a lot of room for error. I've got a huge time frame to play on this man's mind. And, of course, Satan is brutally effective with the mind games. And when we stay idle, all we do is just give him a bigger target. I, again, it doesn't. As long as we're involved and in, in doing something, obviously ministry is is kind of the point of what I'm driving at. But go out and do something. Go out and do something that will occupy your mind for good, rather than sitting there and dwelling on the problem, dwelling on the uncertainty. Again, that is just giving the devil an advantage, saying, "Here you go. Go ahead and take your best shot. I'll, I'll make it easy on you." Don't withdraw from ministry. Stay active. Stay engaged. Press forward in the ministry that you have. Press forward in your life. Keep doing what you know is right to do. Don't withdraw from it. 
Stay engaged in Christian fellowship. Stay engaged in the ministry, in work. Again, even if it's not going out and chopping wood. Stay engaged in something. Something to keep your mind occupied so that you're not giving the devil such an advantage. We must stay engaged. When we're facing those uncertain times, we need to stay engaged in Christian fellowship and stay engaged in the ministry and work. And again, another danger as far as the Great Commission, what we have been given to do, when we are withdrawn ourselves and we're concentrated so much on our problem, man, we walk by so many people who God has placed there for us to witness to. Because we've withdrawn ourselves into our own little bubble. We miss those opportunities. We miss the work that God has given us to do. Because we've withdrawn. We're not engaged anymore. So we stay engaged as the disciples did here. But we have to also stay teachable. Keep a spirit of humility and stay teachable. Verses 4 through 6 there in John 21. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And the cast therefore now, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now again, we don't know who all was in the boat. We, there's two unnamed disciples. My guess is one of them was Andrew, because Peter's there, so you kind of assume Andrew, they're going out fishing, Peter and Andrew, of course, being brothers, um, most likely, I, I think, was there, but we, we're not for sure. We do know there's at least three professional fishermen on this boat, Peter, James, and John. They made their living fishing. They've been fishing all night, the Bible says, with no success, haven't had a bite yet. Haven't caught anything in their nets. Now, morning's coming. Think of how tired they would be. Think of if it was in, at least if I was in their shoes, I would be quite cranky by this point. Working all night, you haven't eaten anything, got no sleep, no luck for all your, all the work that you put into it. You haven't caught anything, and now some random guy on the shore calls out and says, "Hey, you got anything?" And he said, "No." Said, "No." Oh, cast your net on on the right side of the ship. Man, I would have—I probably would have just said, just smiled politely and waved, and, yeah, yeah, and then muttered under my breath, you know, what does he got? What does he know? You know, he's not a fisherman. Look at him. Why is he trying to tell me what to do? I know what I'm doing here. But that wasn't the disciples' response—at least not that we've we're shown in Scripture. They followed the advice that was given, and they reaped the reward. They stayed teachable. They stayed humble. And because of that, of course, they were able to make this great catch. They had enough humility to follow counsel. Oftentimes when we're facing uncertainty, we get an idea in our head and godly counsel comes in. And we just say, no, no, I know what I'm going to do and I'm going to go ahead and do it. Even though it's against the, the man of God's counsel or some godly friends that you have saying, that's not really a good idea. I think you should be doing this. We ignore it. We don't stay teachable. We go ahead and do our own thing. And that leads us oftentimes into failure. Let's look at Acts chapter 18. Whenever I think of teachable, I think of this man, Apollos, that we find in Acts chapter 18. We see him in other parts of Scripture. But this is our introduction to Apollos. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. 
And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And then it goes on and he's able to mightily convince the Jews. So you have this man, Apollos, very eloquent man, a man who knew what he was talking about. He knew the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He's, 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 uh, the Bible says, teaching diligently the things of the Lord, but he's limited in his knowledge. He knows only the baptism of John. Uncertain time, that baptism of John. That there was a Messiah coming, but no further, no further knowledge really on that. Again, we're not exactly sure what all that encompasses. But it wasn't the complete gospel. He wasn't preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aquila and Priscilla hear him teaching in the synagogue. They take him. And the Bible says they, they teach him more. Per, they expound unto him the way of God more perfectly. They illuminate unto him a little bit more, of course, Jesus Christ. And this eloquent man, this man who knew his stuff, doesn't reject the counsel. He embraces it. He stays teachable. To this godly counsel that he receives. And because of that, God used him in a great and mighty way there in Corinth to mightily convince the Jews that Jesus was Christ. But he would never have been able to do that if he was not teachable. If he did not have that spirit of humility. Aquila and Priscilla take him aside. I find it interesting that Priscilla is mentioned in that, teaching him. A woman, of course, is not highly thought of back in those days in terms of education. But he was willing to listen to even Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla. They both helped teach him the way of God more perfectly. And he had that spirit of humility and was teachable. Sometimes the answer to our problem was found in godly counsel from a fellow believer. And we need to have the humility to stay teachable and to learn from that. We most certainly will never receive an answer from God if we do not have a teachable, a malleable spirit. One that God can form and mold to Him, to His liking. If we have that pride in place, that uh, unmovable, you know, we got a, a stiff neck, God's never going to show us the answer. He's never going to bring us through those uncertain times like He would if we have that spirit of humility, that teachable spirit in place. So we must stay teachable, keep a spirit of humility about us when we're going through these times of uncertainty. And that's hard. When we're uncertain, sometimes, again, we withdraw ourselves, but we also get more dogmatic. Sometimes when someone, the more scared somebody is, the more uh, front of bravery that they put up. We get more dogmatic. But don't do that. We need to stay teachable. Third thing that we need to stay is we need to stay reverent of God. Verses 7 through 11 of John chapter 21. It says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and he cast himself 
into the sea. For time's sake, let's skip to verse uh, 10. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes. 153, and it goes on. We need to stay reverent. We need to keep the fear of God in place in our life. I, I tend to think John may have started figuring it out, who it was on the shore, when they were told to cast the net on the right side. Of course, this is something that Christ had told them before. But John here we see as the perceptive one on this boat. It's, it's him. He is the one who says it's the Lord, recognizes Jesus Christ. I think he may have been figuring it out when the instruction came, but when that net was filled with all those fishes, he was sure, so he tells Peter, it is the Lord. And Peter, of course, being a man of immediate action, throws his his, uh, fishing coat on him, jumps in the water, and swims to shore, swims to Jesus. And then we see upon Christ's instruction, he goes down and he drags the net to land, again, somewhat of a miracle in itself, on top of the miracle of these fishes and the net not breaking, Peter dragging all that load to shore would have been somewhat of a miracle in and of itself. But what does this have with being reverent or with having a fear of God? What, what, how, how do we draw that from this passage? We see two areas, I think, where Peter displayed a proper reverence of Jesus Christ. Number one, in attitude, verse 7, when he hears that it is Christ, he puts his fisher's coat on him, for he was naked. We see a clear difference in how Peter acted. How he acted one way with the disciples, but he was going to act a completely different way with Christ. He was going to have more reverence, more fear of Christ in place. Again, with the disciples, he had no problems leaving off his fisher's coat. Again, he's not completely naked. Uh, most likely, he could be bare-chested, um, just out there on the boat all night, working. But with the disciples, he had no problem with that informality. But when he's going to appear before Christ, he wants to appear as presentable as possible. He has to prepare to appear before Christ. And we too, of course, must prepare when we come before the Lord. Don't think that we can live our life how we want to and instantly go to the Lord and that he'll hear us. We have to prepare. We have to come before the Lord, as Hebrews 10 says, with clean hands, and a pure heart. That takes some preparation sometimes. That takes some cleaning of the hands and purifying of our heart to be able to come before the Lord. We must remember who He is. He's not our genie that grants our wishes. He's not even a fellow believer that has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator. He is God Almighty. He's, of course, our Savior. He's the one that liveth and was dead. And behold, He is alive forevermore. He has eyes like unto fire, feet like unto brass. As we see the great description of Him given in Revelation chapter 1. That's who we are appearing before when we go before Him in prayer. When we go before Him in service. This is who we are appearing before. That takes some preparation. That takes some reverence. That takes the proper attitude. He's not one of the boys. He's worthy of far more reverence and fear than we could ever give him. He's worthy of all that we can give him. All the fear, all the reverence. 
And even in uncertain times, again, especially in uncertain times, we must remember who our Lord is. And we must keep the proper level of fear in place. Oftentimes we start complaining when we're faced with those difficult times. Lord, why are you letting this happen? We forget who we're talking to. I'm not saying questioning is is a bad thing, but oftentimes that questioning is done with the wrong heart. With the complaining, with the murmuring. Why, Why are you letting this happen to me? I've tried to serve you all these years and then you let this happen. Don't forget who you're talking to. Have that right attitude in place. Stay reverent. Have that fear of God in place. Don't leave that off in those times of uncertainty. And of course, as Peter shows, when that fear of God is in place, obedience will surely follow. Obedience to his word. We see, of course, he he prepared himself before he appeared to Christ. But then when Christ gives the instruction in verse 10 to bring of the fish, Peter goes down immediately and brings the net to land. If one claims to have a fear of God, there are actions that should be present as a result. Let's turn over to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Where a fear of the Lord is, there is always action. There is always obedience to the Lord. It changes how we act. Isaiah is a good example of that, of course. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up. There are certain actions that follow a fear of the Lord. But we see here obedience to God. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. What does the Bible give as proof that he feared the Lord? He gives an action. He gives something, an action that would not have been easy. This would have required a lot of thought. A lot of courage. If he is found secreting bread and water in the time of a famine, in the time of a drought, most likely he would lose his head, especially if Jezebel was the one who found out about it. But he is willing to risk much. Why? Because he feared the Lord greatly. There was action that followed his fear. And again, in uncertain times when we don't have any clear instruction, we must be sure that our actions are motivated by a reverence for God and not out of a duty or out of eye service. Just doing it because other people are watching. In those uncertain times, it is so crucial that our actions are for the right motive. Out of that fear of God, out of that love of God, we must stay reverent in those uncertain times. Keep that fear of God in place in your life. And lastly, as we turn back to John 21, we must stay hungry. I'm going to use, of course, the disciples eating breakfast as an illustration here for us. See that in verses 12 and 13. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing those Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. Stay hungry. Stay expectant that the Lord 
will answer those prayers. That the Lord will show Himself to you. How often in those uncertain times do we get a negative outlook? We think that because we don't know which way to turn, that God has forgotten about us. Or it may even get to the point of depression, thinking that God doesn't care about us. There's no desire to bless us. Think of Naomi. The hand of her, the God, of her God was against her, is how she viewed it. Saying, God's against me now. She was not expecting God to bless her. And oftentimes, when we get into that uncertainty, we don't expect God to bless us. We think, well, it's just, I guess my life's just going to be miserable from here on out. I guess I just might as well get used to it. No, stay hungry for God's blessing. Stay expectant of God's blessing. Let's look at Psalm 27, verse 13. Some of you teens may be able to still quote this. I know you guys memorized it there. Psalm 27. But quickly, I'm just going to read verse 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love the phrasing from David here. The key to not fainting was not seeing the goodness of God. It was believing that he would see the goodness of God. It wasn't that he was about to faint and then God moved in his life and he saw God's goodness. No, he was weary, but because he believed that he would see God's goodness. He had faith. He says, I'm not going to faint. God will show his goodness to me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to stay hungry for God's goodness. I'm going to stay expectant of God's goodness. And because of that, he did not faint. And think of the, this account here in John 21 from Christ's perspective. The disciples are out there toiling all night and into the morning. As that is happening, Christ is preparing for this meeting. He's preparing the fish. He's preparing the bread. He's, he's building the fire. All the while thinking of the joy that he's going to give to the disciples. Of the encouragement that he's going to give them. The blessing that they will receive. He's preparing it while they're out there toiling. They don't know it's coming. But he does. And he's preparing this blessing for them. And I think the key to staying hungry for God's blessing, staying expectant that God will bless us, is following the previous points that we've seen. Staying engaged and and teachable. And staying, of course, reverent. If the disciples had not been engaged, if they, they hadn't been out fishing, they wouldn't have been so hungry to eat. Again, using the, the physical illustration here. They would have provided their own breakfast at their own place wherever they were staying. And they would have missed that great fellowship that they had with Christ that morning. They would not have been so hungry. They hadn't been working all night. They hadn't been engaged all night. Maybe they would have had a breakfast and then they would have strolled along the shore and Christ would have said, Hey, I've got some breakfast for you. And they're like, no, I'm good. I already had breakfast. I already filled myself with something else. How often do we fill ourselves with something when we could have had Christ's blessing in our life? But, we could have, but because we weren't engaged, 
We didn't stay teachable. We didn't stay reverent, have that fear of God in place. We missed out on God's blessing in our life. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They would have heard that on the Sermon of the Mount there in Matthew chapter 5. And again, I know as, as we close, we've all faced, we're facing that right now where we will face times of uncertainty in our life. And how the apostles behaved in our text provides us, again, some great guidelines on how to behave during those times. Again, they behave that way. You see that pattern through the book of Acts, through that time of transition, that time of uncertainty. They stay engaged. They stay teachable. They stay reverent, having that fear of God in place. And they keep expecting God to meet their needs, to fill them, to bless them. You see that pattern in the apostles in the book of Acts, as well as in our passage. Through those uncertain times, stay engaged, stay teachable, stay reverent, and stay hungry for God's blessing. But there is one area we must never be uncertain in, and that is our eternal destination. If that is an uncertain time for you, my heart breaks, really, for you. That does not need to be a time of uncertainty. The Bible says that we can know that we have eternal life. John, in, in the, the verse prior to our text, chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. We can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We don't have to be uncertain. Because Christ already paid the penalty for our sin. And all that is needed for salvation, for that eternal life, is to acknowledge our sin, that we are condemned to hell. But that, and that we have no hope of salvation in ourselves. There is nothing we can do to provide salvation for ourselves. Many people try to provide salvation for themselves, and because of that, eternity is uncertain for them. You ask them, you know, if you die today, you know, you can go to heaven. Well, I hope so. They're uncertain about it. I think so. Why are they uncertain? They're trusting in something other than Jesus Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ imparts great certainty for us. For when we step into eternity. But we have to call upon Him. We have to believe that He paid the penalty for our sin. That He is the only way to salvation. And place our faith and trust completely in His work on Calvary. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes. Get the message primarily for believers as we face these uncertain times in our life. But maybe eternity is an uncertain time for you. You aren't certain about your eternal destination. You're not sure if you died tonight that you would go to heaven. You can know tonight. As I mentioned, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. And when he was on the cross, God the Father placed the sin of the entire world upon him. That includes your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. But of course, because he is God, he defeated hell. He defeated death. And he rose again the third day. 
Maybe you're trying to pay for your sins yourself. Trying to earn your way to heaven. Your sins have already been paid for. All you have to do is accept the gift of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If there's anyone in here who who would say, I am not certain of my eternal destination. I would like to pray for you. If you could please raise your hand. If you do not know that you are going to heaven when you die, raise your hand. I I would love to pray for you. Again, my heart breaks for those who are uncertain about their destination. Anyone at all. All right, Christian, we'll face plenty of uncertain times. How, we, how do we act through that? Do we withdraw into our own shell? Do we get dogmatic? Get unteachable? Do we start blaming God for what He has done in our lives? Or do we fill ourselves with our own way? How you act in those uncertain times have great consequences on the rest of your life. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you so much. And again, I pray that you bless in a great way, Lord. And uh, just move in hearts as you see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stay at our feet. Page 483 in the songbook. We'll sing, I'll live for him who died for me. God worked on your heart.